Hebrews chapter number 12 this morning, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1 of Hebrews chapter number 12. The Word of God says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But He for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for dying for the church and loving the church. And we thank you for giving the church to us. We pray, Father, that you would help us this morning to be surrendered, submitted, and sensitive to the leading and moving of the Holy Spirit and the application of your word. God, that you would accomplish that which would bring you the most glory in our hearts and in our lives. I pray, Father, that in this room there would not be a single person that would leave here if they need to do business with you without having done it. I pray, Father, that the strong man would be bound. And, Lord, that any business that needs to be accomplished with you this morning, that we'd be obedient in it. Father, that you'd win great victories in our spiritual walks today. Lord, we love you. We love you so much, Lord. Thank you for loving us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning on the phrase that's used in verse number 6, where the Word of God says, For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. I want to preach to you on the chastening of God this morning. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you that this is not a very popular topic and subject. For every single... A song that uh, is written about chastening or about the Lord dealing with us, there'll be a hundred thousand that are written about heaven. For every single sermon that is preached on chastening, there'll be a hundred thousand that are preached on how God loves to bless us. And I would have you know that God does love to bless us. I'm not in any way diminishing heaven. But let me just say this morning that chastening is a real experience of the human Christian walk. If you're going to serve God and if you're going to live for God, there's going to be times when the Lord is going to chasten you. What does that word chasten mean? 
Let me give you a good Appalachian American rendering of it. We have a fancy word that we use for it. It's called whooping. Amen? Whooping. Getting a whipping. And that word chastening literally means to flog with a whip or to whip someone. If you grew up like I did and my father was not abusive to me, but I grew up knowing what a chastening hand was. I grew up knowing what it was to have discipline in the home, and I rise up and call them blessed for it. You see, chastening is something that most of us, to some degree, have grown familiar with in the everyday life. The problem with the generation today is they've never been familiarized with it. They lack discipline. When I say discipline, I don't mean the ability to wake up early or go to bed early or the ability to uh, organize your sock drawer or the ability to eat at the same time every day. But I mean the comprehension of what it means for there to be boundaries. The reality this morning, despite its lack of popularity, is that the Christian life does have boundaries. God does have things that He expects out of us. And there are consequences when we move and operate without the bounds of that. That expectation. I was thinking this morning about some of the things that the relationships that we have in our everyday walk. I've stood behind this pulpit and I've said time and time again, I've said that God has no grandchildren. Do you believe that? You're either a child or you're not. God has no grandchildren. Your daddy may have been saved, but that don't make you saved. Your mama may have been saved, but that don't make you saved. God has no grandchildren. But by the same token, if God has no grandchildren, then that means God is no grandfather. You see, one of the great things about being a papaw or a mamaw is usually you don't have to do the discipline. Now, it's sad because we live in a day where a lot of times it is on the papaw and the mamaw to have to do the discipline because the mom and daddy ain't doing the discipline. But the reality is I think one of the blessings of being a grandparent, you know me being a grandparent, but no... As I've dealt with people, one of the things that they say is they say, Oh, we love our children. But there's something about them grandbabies. Isn't that true? Oh, we love our children. But there's just something about those grandbabies. As soon as we get here, my father-in-law will bowl you over to get my grandson. He'll fight you if he has to. I've seen him do it. Because there's just something about them grandbabies. There's just something about them. You know what it is about them, don't you? You don't have to deal with them in the middle of the night. That's what it is about them. That's what it is about them. You can get them all hopped up on pixie sticks and Mountain Dew, send them home, and exact vengeance on your children for the way they treated you. Part of being a grandparent. That's why grandparents love their grandkids so much. And you know something I found? Now listen now. Don't get mad at me. Y'all and y'all don't get mad at me. But grandparents have a tendency to make excuses for the grandkids. It's amazing. I'm convinced that from the moment that my child leaves my home and goes into theirs, he's a different child. Because according to my parents and according to my in-laws, my child never does anything wrong. It's astounding. I don't know what they do with him that makes him that way. But I have a sneaking suspicion that the grandparents have a little bit different standard than the parents have. I've said to my father before, I don't know where this man was when I was being raised. I don't understand that. I don't know why that happened. He wasn't like that when I was being raised. No, you know why? Because grandparents are different than parents. You see, a grandfather dismisses 
his grandson's sins, but a father disciplines his son's sins. The reality is, if you're going to be a child of God, it's going to be some chastening sometimes. That's a reality. There's going to be times when you disobey God and He's got to take you to the woodshed. There's going to be times that your life will get out of whack in your relationship with Him and He's going to have to bring the pain into your existence. Chastening. Let me just give you a few things about it. Let me say, first off, we see the reality of chastening. You notice what it says in our passage? It said, we had fathers according to the flesh that chastened us. See, chastening is a regular thing. You'll see it all over society. I know that Dr. Spock did everything he could to get rid of it. But the ironic thing is, anywhere where you have authority, you must have chastening. Else that authority cannot be exercised or inflicted. You see, you'll see some. And I saw someone last night. I was driving home. And I looked over to the side and I saw those red and blue lights behind somebody's vehicle. And they were pulled up. What was that? That was chastening. That was chastening. You see, the purpose wasn't just to stop them because they already had them stopped. But you know how they do. They're going to write out that ticket. And they're going to make them pay for what they've done wrong, hoping that it will lead them to a better action and behavior. See, chastening is a natural thing. You'll find it all through life. It's not just found in the woodshed. It's found in the everyday experience of things. There's authority no matter who you are. One of the greatest lies I was told growing up was that one day you'll grow up and you won't have any authority. The truth is you grow up and you got more authority then than you had when you was young. Before, it was all consolidated into those parental figureheads. But now you grow up into society and you've got a multitude of voices telling you what you must and must not do. And you know what I found? That never goes away. You see, chastening is a natural thing. Boundaries and consequences. It's funny to me that there is a group of Christianity that would have us to believe that God is on our level. And God, you know, they paint Him up. He's the Mountain Dew drinking, long-haired, hippie, snowboarding Jesus that never has a problem with anything. And they would have us to believe that that's the way that Christ is. I understand He was the meek Galilean. I'm aware of that. I understand that He was the shepherd of thousands. But when He comes back, He comes back with flaming eyes and a sword drawn There's a side to the Savior that no one wants to talk about. And the reality is you have times in your life when you're disobedient, you'll see that side of Him. I'm glad that my father did not always behave as he did when he was chastening me. I probably wouldn't have lived. But I'm thankful also that he did not always treat me as he did when I had his favor and his blessing. You see, chastening is a natural thing. You accept it, I accept it. We just don't like to think that God would chasten us. Uh, There's a fine balance that must be reached in our psyche between being the victim and between being uh, the person that is the offender. Sometimes whenever things get tough, we always want to assume, oh, this is just something uh, that God has put upon me to purge me. But understand with that word purging is the idea of the flushing out of impurities. Everything that we go through, God's trying to make us a better Christian through it. But there's times that what we're going through is the direct result of our disobedience to Him. Well, we don't like to talk about it. The fact is, we like to shout, you know, we'll we'll get up and we'll say, Oh, God will never leave us nor forsake. Do you believe that this morning? He'll never leave you nor forsake. I'm thankful that uh, all of those that were committed to Him, He's not lost any of them. 
I'm thankful that He'll never leave us nor forsake us. I'm thankful that any that come unto Him, He will in no wise cast out. I'm thankful that I am settled in Jehovah, that I am found in the rock. Glory, hallelujah, that God does not disown His children. Aren't you thankful? But if He doesn't disown them, that means He must discipline them. You see, we, we like to shout about that. And I'm not, I'm not fussing at you, but we like to shout about it. God will never leave me, but that means sometimes He's going to have to whip us. Sometimes He must chasten us. If we're without chastisement, the Bible says, then we're bastards and not sons. I see that, that chastening is not only a natural thing, it's a needful thing. Because of our rebellious natures. You say, oh, preacher, I'm not rebellious. Sure you are, just like I am. Just like I am. We're all rebels against a thrice holy God. Every one of us. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, and the ends are the ways of death. And just as sure today as it, uh, just as true today as it was about the nation of Israel in the book of Judges, it's true for the church today that it seems as though every man does that which is right in his own sight. You'll ask people, well, do you think you ought to do that? Well, I don't know. How do you feel about it? Well, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. What does the Word of God say about it? Well, you know, preacher, I could just, ne- you know, I, I, I could never imagine making that. Con- well, what does the Word of God say about it? Doesn't matter what you imagine. Doesn't matter how you feel. So, oh, preacher, you say it and all, we all have feelings, I'm aware of that. But here's the thing, Uh, we can either use feelings to draw us closer to the Lord, or feelings can be a hindrance to us. We have to govern ourselves by faith, not by feeling. We can't operate just based upon that warm, fuzzy feeling inside. That'll land us in the ditch, because that way that seemeth right unto you, the ends thereof are the ways of death. That's what God said about it. Chastening is a needful thing. One of the things I'm trying to get across to my, to the grandparents of my child. <laughs> it's amazing. It, I, I never saw that that defender <laughs> that you see in them. And let me say, I mean, let me say this honestly, ju- just just to clear there, just say it. I mean, uh, the, the grandparents of my child are very good about letting us parent and 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 keeping out of our parenting. But I'm just saying that you see, in grandparents, there's that tendency to run to and defend want to keep harm from falling their way. Oh, and it's there for the parents, too. But the difference is we understand how needful it is. You say, why, preacher? Why do you... Because we, we have to live in the same house as the little monsters. That's why. That's why. We see them when they're fussy. You'll talk to grandparents and they'll say, why, that baby don't know yet. But then you'll talk to parents and they'll say, you better believe that baby knows. I've seen the look in his eye. When I tell him, no, he goes. Oh, it's there. They're born with it. They're born with it. I was born with it. You were born with it. Chastening is a needful thing in the natural world, and we accept it. The Bible says you were subject unto those fathers in your flesh. I was. Chances are, if you weren't, they didn't subject you enough. I was subject unto those fathers in our flesh, those authorities. We understand the reality of chastening. It's all around the natural world. So why would it not exist in the spiritual realm? We see the reality of chastening. But I want you to notice, secondly, the recipients of chastening. Every son whom the Lord loveth. You say, who is that preacher? Well, God so loved the world. You say, but all in the world are not his sons. No, not everybody in the world is his son. But the Bible says 
to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. If you're a child of God, the Lord loves you. You see, chastening, and I've come to learn this more and more, chasing is an evidence of life. You ever met those parents that had give up on their child? I've seen them before. They've give up on them. And they've ceased looking for what's best in their life. They're just trying to find some peace in their home. You know what I'm talking about. You've met them. You've known folks like that. Well, we don't even try to make little Johnny mind anymore. We're just trying to survive. You see, the truth is, every son will receive chastening. One of the surest earmarks that you've never been born again is if you can live in sin and be happy. If you can live in unrighteousness and God does not deal with it, that's a good sign you've never been born again. The Lord doesn't whip the devil's children, but you better believe he'll always whip his own when they get out of line. So, oh, God's a cruel God. No, God's not a cruel God. Because we see it's not only an evidence of life, but it's an expression of love. Every son whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. It's funny, when I was a kid, I thought, I thought adults were just cruel, sadistic, violent people. Right? Right? They'd always, say, they'd always lie to me and say things like this. They'd always say things like, this is going to hurt me. Worse than it's going to hurt you. And I'd always think, well, you really want to get me. Why don't you give me the belt and let me hit you, amen? (laughs) That'll really tear me up. No, you see, the reality is they didn't want to do it. I couldn't understand it then. I I couldn't understand it then. But now, as a father, I understand the pain of having to chasten. The pain of having to correct. The pain of having to discipline. It's difficult. But why do we do it? We do it because we love them. Because we know that the absence of discipline is more destructive than the presence of it. We understand. And you think God doesn't understand this? What would happen to us if God let us live the way we wanted without dealing with us? I don't know about you, but I know about me. I'd make a mess of things. God doesn't do that because He's got nothing better to do. God doesn't do that because He's a cruel God. And some of us in our Christian walk, we cry out just as a little child would when they're having to face the discipline of their parents. And we'll cry out and say, God, why can't you just let me do what I want to do? And we usually get the same kind of answer from him that we give to our children. One day you'll understand. One day you'll understand. Right now you can't understand. What does it say? It says, uh, no chastening for the present time seems joyous, but grievous. One of the things, and they'd probably arrest me for saying this, but <laughs> I'm going to be arrested one of these days for the things I say anyway. So I might as well just give you truth. But the purpose of discipline is to break the spirit of a child. To break the will of a child. The purpose is to show them that their way is not the way. And to make them understand that they cannot run the house. My old preacher used to put on a church sign that Nowadays, everything in the house is run with a switch except the children. And the truth is, where is our world getting in light of the lack of discipline? We've raised generations of rebels and we voted them into politics. And now they have the same perception of boundaries and authority that they had when they were a child, which is that I can do what I wish with no consequences, 
no ramifications. You say, oh, preacher, I don't know if I believe that. Turn on the news sometime. See how much... Well, I don't even care if this makes anybody mad. See how much our president cares about the constitutional boundaries. See how much Congress cares about the constitutional boundaries. We live in a day of czars and executive orders and mandates. What's happened to our country? We raised a generation without discipline. We raised a generation that had no concept of what it meant to have boundaries. Maybe if somebody loved them enough to give them a whipping when they didn't mind, it would have changed them. But now, wait a minute. What does it do to our spiritual walks? What does it produce spiritually in this country, this environment of no consequences? We live in a day where the church is defined by emotions and culture rather than by the Word of God. We live in a day where if it feels good, do it. Why not live like the world? Why not operate the way the world does? After all, it feels good. Boy, doesn't that sound just like the reasoning and logic of a child? Well, it feels good. Why not do it? We have a whole society run off of those premises today. Maybe if someone had loved them enough to discipline them in their life. Let me tell you something. God, no matter what you do to Him, He's still going to love you enough to discipline you. I think when everything goes wrong, it's not automatic that we've done something wrong. But I think it ought to automatically be our assumption and we ought to operate under the premise, Lord, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done, God? God, search me. See if there be any wicked or unclean way within me. Help me to be cleansed of it. You may find that God comes back and says, you've not done a thing wrong. But I'm just using you to encourage others. And I'm bringing some things into your life. But I think more often than not, and we preach those messages because they preach good, but we don't preach these messages because nobody swings from the chandelier when we do it. But the reality is, I think a lot of times, it is something we've done. God loves us too much to let us get away with it. God's bringing the hurt into our lives to try to get our attention. Let me read a passage for you. This interested me. How does God discipline? Look what it says in the book of Psalms, chapter number 50. It says, These things hast thou done, verse 21, and I kept silence. And thou thoughtest, this is the Lord speaking, thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. Now stop and think about that. He says, these things thou hast done. He's speaking of sins that the nation of Israel committed. You've done these things, and I kept silence. You know what that was? That was long-suffering. A lot of times we think if God doesn't crash through our life with a wrecking ball, He's okay with it. But that's not necessarily the case. That's long-suffering. He says, I kept silence. But what happened when He kept silent too long? Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. See, the problem is if God doesn't discipline us, we begin to think God's okay with our sin. And that is what has happened generationally in our society concerning church life and church culture. Because God has been long-suffering to this country. Hasn't He been long-suffering to this country? Because He's been long-suffering to this country. Generation after generation has grown up saying, well, I reckon God's just okay with it. Some leather-lung preacher would come along and thunder a message and say, but what... What saith the Word of God? They'd say, we'll just change our Bibles. We'll just change our Bibles to say that God's okay with it because He's not done anything yet. Let me tell you something. There's a day of reckoning coming for this country. There's a day of reckoning coming where God will judge us and smite us. You mark her down. 
Why? Because God won't allow his children to go without discipline. Look what it says. It says, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. See, chastening is a biblical principle found all the way through the Old Testament to the New Testament. You'll find it all the way in the Old Testament when God drove Cain out from the presence of himself. You'll get it all the way down in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, where the Lord says, Every, uh, the, where it says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. All through the Word of God, you'll find this principle. Let me say a word not only about the recipients of chastisement, but let me say a word about the responses that we have. You see, God's going to chasten us. How are we going to address it? What does it say? Look, look in our text very carefully at what's found down here. Look with me at uh, verse number 5. The Bible says, For whom the Lord... Uh, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, notice this word, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Let me say that some despise, or let me use another word with it, some dismiss the chastening of God. You know what that word despise means? It means to disregard something, to set it to the side. Let me say that there's lots of folks that God's trying to chasten, but they've made up their mind that they're going to do what they wish to do, despite how God feels about it, because of how they feel about it. And they are despising, dismissing, and disregarding what God's trying to do in their life. I've seen people get out of the will of God, and God put them in sick beds. I've seen God put them in coffins. Oh, you say, oh, that's a threat, preacher. No, that's history. I could give you names of folks that got out of the will of God. And what happened? First, he gave him his word. He said, I will reprove thee. I will reprove thee. That's the first thing God does. You may be here today dealing with the chastening of God. Take this as the warning from the word of God to get right. Because he speaks through his word first. That's how wonderful. You know, and it's funny because that's how it was in my home too. I didn't grow up in a home with a lot of yelling. Because I grew up in a home that had a belt. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you do, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Daddy'd say, do this. And we knew that if we didn't do it, we'd get a whipping. Or a whooping. So there wasn't a need for a lot of yelling. You see, his word carried weight and authority. And sometimes we'd misbehave. And Mama would say, Daddy's coming home. When he does, I'm going to tell your Daddy what you've done. And that meant something. That meant something. I've seen other folks. You've seen them in the Walmarts. Maybe other places, but I know there ain't a person in here that ain't been to the Walmart. So I'm going to say the Walmart. You've seen them in the Walmart. And they've got little Johnny. I don't know who this Johnny fellow is, but we pick on him all the time, don't we? They've got little Johnny in the buggy. And little Johnny will say, I want a toy! And they'll say, no, honey, not right now. He'll say, I want a toy. And they'll say, no, honey, not right now. And he'll wear on them and wear on them and wear on them and wear on them. Johnny got farther than I would have ever gotten growing up. Because once was enough. You see, the Word of God carries weight. You know why? Because it's true. Because there is authority. You know, there's a difference between power and authority. 
You say, what's the difference? Well, let me give you the difference. Let's say you find an 18-wheeler barreling down the road. And all of a sudden, out in the midst of the street walks a state trooper and holds up his badge. Could that state trooper stop that 18-wheeler? If that 18-wheeler really wanted to go? No. But usually that 18-wheeler is going to stop. You know why? Because there's authority behind that badge. That 18-wheeler knows it's not just that state trooper he's going to have to deal with. It's going to be the army of them that will be coming. That's authority. The Word of God has authority. The Word of God cannot stop you from doing what you want to do. But if you wise up, you'll stop when it says stop. You'll listen to the boundaries that God has set in front of you because you know that there are consequences connected to it. Some disregard it. Some play the victim. I've known folks that everything that happened in their life was always somebody else's fault. Somebody else's fault. (laughs) Out to get them. Out to destroy them. Always somebody else, never thinking for one moment that it could be the consequence of their own unrighteousness. Some dismiss it. We see that it begins with the Word, then it goes to the woodshed. He says, I'll set these things in order. The Lord says, I'll come into your life and I'll correct you. We find that how does it end? It ends with a wooden box. I don't know if it would have ended that way in my home. Amen. I never went that far. It ends with a wooden box. Let me say this, and and I, I don't even care how it sounds. I believe it's true. I believe that if we don't get right with God, there's a good chance God will kill us. Why? Because he wants us to either live right down here or live right up there. We're doing nothing but destroying ourselves when we're not living right down here. Preacher, that's a threat! No, that's more than a threat. That's a promise. God deals with folks in that way. That doesn't mean that he's going to kill everybody that doesn't get right. It doesn't mean there's some kind of, of time frame that is universal to everybody. But trust me, I've seen it enough to know that there's times when that's the only way that God can deal with sin in a person's life is to take them home so they can't bring any more shame to the name of Christ. I believe I'd be scared to death to live out of the will of God for too long. I'd be scared to death to live out of the will of God for too long. I'd be afraid He might just take me on home. Some disregard and then some despair. It says, don't faint. Don't faint. I've known some folks that did that. God began to chasten them and they just folded up. Just folded up. Can't do it anymore. Listen, God knows what you can and can't take. God knows what's necessary for you to live right. And God, oh, the, He will put more on you than you can bear by yourself. But that's your problem is you're trying to bear it by yourself instead of crucifying self and trying to bear it through the Holy Ghost. Only through that means will you be able to bear up in the midst of it rather than folding up. Some say, I can't do it anymore. Sure you can. Sure you can. If you couldn't serve God anymore, God would have took you out of this world. Sure you can. You can serve God. You can keep on. Preacher, it's not easy. No one ever said it would be. Preacher, you don't understand what I'm going through. Maybe I don't, but he does. And I'm not the one bringing it into your life. He's the one bringing it into your life. So, yeah, you can. You can go on. You can do right. You can live right. Why? Because God will help you to do it. We see the responses, but what are the results? I'll say this and I'll hush. 
Number one, the first result is peace. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Peace. I can't explain it. You just have to have been there and known what it is. And some of you will know when I say this. But there was a peace in my home after there was discipline. It was like the stars had aligned and the universe had been set right. The sin had been dealt with. It had been purged. I was back in my parents' good favor. But I remember the fear that it was when you knew you had done something wrong and were just waiting to be dealt with. And some of us, the reason we live in defeat all the time is because we're waiting to be dealt with all the time. We know we're not living right. We know we can't keep it up. And we're waiting for God to strike that final blow. We don't know what it is to enter into His presence and say, Lord, I'm just so thrilled to be here in Your throne room. God, I'm just so thrilled to be under the shadow of the Almighty. Instead, when it's time to pray, we feel like a hypocrite that we're not confessing our sin, we're blessing our food. Instead, we feel like a hypocrite when we open our Bible because there's stuff we know to do that we're not doing. No, there's no peace. No peace to the wicked, saith the Lord. No peace. Peace only comes to the believer that is in communion with the Lord. And sometimes that communion can only take place through chastening. I believe it yields peace. But I believe finally it yields productivity. Peaceable what? Fruit. Fruit of righteousness. I was thinking about this. You know, typically, and I'm no botanist. I'm a Tennessean, amen. I'm no botanist. But typically, fruit comes after the tree's grown. Right? (laughs) You see, there's got to be some substance before there can be some show. And sometimes the Lord has to prune. Some of you that have been gardeners, you know what it is to prune something back. To get rid of the dead so that the live can thrive. And sometimes God is trying to prune and purge your life. Sometimes there's something that you've gone to, ta- to, to battle with the Lord over. You've said, God, I'm keeping this. And he said, no, you can't keep this. God, I'm doing this. No, you can't do that. You said, Lord, I'm going to do it. You've done like that 18-wheeler. You said, I'll run right through you, God. And the Lord has said, you do, and there'll be consequences. And you're in that tug-of-war with God right now. And you don't want to give up because you don't want to let go of whatever it is. And you're convinced, just like that child is, you're convinced that your life will end when you lose that. Just like a child is when you say, put that down. And they say, I can't. Why does a child say that? Because they can't think beyond that one desire and that one wish and that one action. But you'd soon find out if you just buckle to God. That's what a lot of us need. We need to wave that white flag and we need to buckle And we need to quit fussing and fighting with God. We need to say, okay, Lord, if this is what you want out of my life, then this is what you'll have. All of me is yours, bought and paid for, so I'm giving you everything that you bought. And if you do that, you'd be amazed how God would let your Christian walk take off. You'd be amazed the difference it would make if you just finally wave that white flag and give in and say, Lord, whatever you want for my life, I'll give it to you. Whatever it is, God, I'll give it to you. Lord, if you want ministry for me, I'll go into the ministry. If you want my home to be more righteous, it'll be more righteous. If you want me to get rid of this out of my life, this friendship, this relationship, 
this object, whatever it is, God, it's yours. If you'd wave that white flag, you'd be amazed what God could do. You'd be amazed what God could do if you'd only get serious about this thing. Not dismiss and not despair the chastening of God, but be willing to buckle and say, Lord, whatever you have for my life is yours. It's yours.